Welcome to a special BIV Today, the daily podcast from the newsroom of Business in Vancouver. I'm Kirk LaPointe, publisher and editor-in-chief, here today with our reporters Haley Wooden and Tyler Orton, in a special presentation for our Glacier Media websites. It didn't take long to deliberate over our Newsmaker of the Year Award in 2020. It was, of course, uh, the pandemic was the largest story to affect us in our economy. And in British Columbia, Dr. Bonnie Henry was the most influential force in how our province dealt with the twists and turns of the coronavirus. Dr. Henry's our 2020 Newsmaker of the Year. She's our provincial public health officer and a fixture many times weekly in relaying the sorrowful news of cases, hospitalizations, and fatalities a director of the conditions under which we must live to suppress COVID-19, and in many ways the object of both profound respect internationally and public frustration at times locally for the intricacies of how we attempt to mitigate harm. We welcome today Dr. Henry. Congratulations on your Newsmaker of the Year honours. Thank you very much. It is very much an honour. Uh, I suspect this isn't how you thought you might earn a Newsmaker of the Year honour, but uh, but let's, let's begin. I, I want if you can take us back uh, to when really we had the pandemics start and how you had to, in a way, mobilize a much grander office than the one that you had been running. Yeah, we have a very small office and, and still do. And you know, since I took over from Dr. Perry Kendall uh, a couple of years ago, uh, we tend to be very small and nimble. Um, but yes, when this pandemic started, uh, we started to see the warning signs in, in late December, early January, and it, it, it was a bit of disbelief that we had to overcome. And, you know, this is something that I have spent a lot of time on in my career over the last 30 years, preparing for things like this and seeing the signs and knowing that what could potentially happen it was uh, it was quite a, a challenge for all of us, I think, to to really get going and to understand that this was going to affect us. But I don't think anybody could have predicted how severely um, it would affect us around the world. Mm -hmm. Haley, Dr. Henry, I think it's fair to say that as this pandemic has evolved, so too have people's attitudes toward the provincial government, your office, and how the pandemic is being handled. When do you think that honeymoon period first ended? Yeah, so th this is also something that was not a surprise to me. Um, we we know that when you go through crises, uh, there's a, a transition period that happens. And and I've been saying from the very beginning that I know that the recriminations and the class action lawsuits and the public inquiries are coming. And I know that because I have been through these before and, and we have seen these things before. So yes, very early on, what we tried to do was uh, instill that sense of we, we do have some control. There are things that we can do, but we need to support each other to do it. And when we didn't know what was happening, and it was very scary for all of us, a lot of anxiety and uncertainty, um, that is what helped us get through. And we did really well with that. The challenge becomes when this goes on for a long time and there's changes, things that are we're learning about, things that uh, are changed from one minute to the next. And as we came into the fall and tried to make sure that we were opening up as much as we could, doing it in a safe way, it's, it's tiring. We're all exhausted. So it doesn't surprise me at all that when there's a lot of fear and anxiety that people need somebody to complain to, somebody to be concerned about. And uh, and I knew that was part of my role in this whole thing. We know with this type of a, a crisis that goes on this long, you can never do just enough. There's always 
people who are accusing us of doing too much or not enough and finding that balance is incredibly difficult and it's changing minute by minute and change and uncertainty um, provoke anxiety in people. Tyler? So you spoke about drawing on your past experience. What was maybe the most significant learning experience that you took away from managing the 2003 SARS outbreak in Toronto that you're now being able to apply to your response in this 2020 pandemic? I think the, the, the one thing that really stuck with me was how hard it was for people, but how the communications around how we can support each other, coming out with that positive um, uh, message to people, recognizing that that most people, if we tell you why we need you to do something, we um, give people the data, give people what we know, and uh, give people the means to do it, then most people will come along with us. And in a crisis, um, you know, I've seen this repeatedly, and from 2003 in particular, um, there, there are different ways people react. But the way that we communicate together and support each other helps um, drive up that altruistic need that we have. And people do really care about each other. And um, appealing to that and ensuring that we um, put that uh, forefront as opposed to being putting in restrictions and um, uh, you know, taking an enforcement approach, taking that approach of us doing this together helps people um, recover from the trauma of the crises that we're going through. And okay. it builds resilience. And resilience is, is, you know, what we need to get through this and how we can recover from this. So, Dr. Henry, what have been the biggest surprises along the way? Oh, you know, uh, it, it's all sort of uh, new and scary. It's kind of like, um, you know, when we first had cases in our long-term care home, um, that I knew, it just gave me such a sinking feeling because I knew when viruses like this get into the care homes that people will um, succumb to the virus and people will die, and we've seen that. Um, the In some ways, um, some of the surprises are... Um, how people have recognized me and taken some of the words to heart um, and that people are being kind with each other and it has resonated with people and that the whole message of not knowing everybody's story and not um, jumping to conclusions about people and that we can support each other and get through this and, and it's been a positive surprise in many ways. Um, on in the technical side of things, I've been so, so happy and surprised by how quickly we've got a vaccine. I knew it could be done, but uh, my time horizon was, uh, you know, early into next year. And the fact that we have a vaccine that's coming here to BC next week um, has been the most positive surprise I've had. Haley? You mentioned the word balance earlier. At this point in time, our economy is relatively open compared to what's happening in some other provinces. Why is that? Yeah, you know, we early on recognized that there are unintended consequences of, of shutting things down and that we needed to support families and communities by um, allowing as much as we could to continue safely. So one of the things we did early on was uh, put in place an order, a public health order uh, or provincial health officer order around every business having to have a COVID safety plan. 
And it just made everybody focus on what are the things that I need to do for my place now. And we've taken a lot of steps working with WorkSafe BC with our environmental health officers um, to to work with businesses to make things work. Um, and we've recognized that you know as the virus becomes more transmissible at this time of year, some of those safety plans need to be adjusted and stopped. And there's some things that are just too risky right now. But you know that was a focus that allowed everybody. To, to have some um, control over their environment and to look at how we could put in safety plans. And it's helped a lot. You know, I think about um, some of the big industrial complexes that we have in the north. The, the fact that we planted, um, you know, three million trees this summer with not a single case in the multiple thousands of, of young people, mostly who were working up in the silviculture um, camps up in the north and in remote areas. These were because we paid attention to some of these details that allowed these important things to happen. And the, the other really critical one, we know that when schools are closed, uh, families and children suffer. And we heard that loud and clear from families in March. So we spent a lot of time making sure that if, that schools were a safe place for educators and for uh, for um, students and that allows parents as well to have that breathing room so that they can continue uh, working and other things as well. Tyler? Yeah, I think this pandemic ha has been very mentally draining, physically exhausting for people, but I think people are also curious about you and, and maybe you can expand on how you personally kind of decompress or, or try to relax while this is all going on. Yeah, I haven't had a whole lot of relaxed time, actually. <laughs> and uh, one of those things, uh, I grind my teeth a lot, so especially at night. But I do try. I mean, all of us need to. It is a long, long road that we're on. So it is important. And early on, I was talking to a young reporter from CBC, and, and we were talking about meditating and, you know, taking deep breaths and calming ourselves. And that is something that I do. I, I try and meditate for short periods every day. Sometimes it's three o'clock in the morning when I'm in bed. Um, I'm also a runner. And I think uh, from the very beginning, we said to people, you know, get outside, go outside. Uh, I, that is so important for our, our mental health as well as our physical health. Only do it with your family right now, but you know, your close friends. But outside is safer than inside. And we just need that, that release to go for 15 minutes a day, and, and I try and keep up with my running, not always successfully, um, especially now I go in the mornings and it's still so dark, but uh, those are the things that, that really keep me going. I, I want to know too, I doubt that you have a, uh, a routine day, but are there patterns of a support system, daily input, daily consultation that you have now, and what are they? Yeah, my days tend to start early. I, I, I'm part of a group with the World Health Organization that's been working on pandemic issues for years. Um, and uh, it tends to meet Geneva time. So that's about 4.30 in the morning for us usually. So some days start that early. Most days start uh, around 5.30. And uh, we have a key uh, touch uh, basis with you know the communications and my uh, office team every morning uh, to sort of look at what's happening for the day. Um, we have uh, key meetings around the numbers and the epidemiology and uh, particularly the days that we do, uh, well, every day we do statements, but also the media. 
And then there's always issues. Uh, there's just been one thing after another, whether it's, uh, you know, businesses and mink farms and <laughs> poultry producers or, you know, just every sort of thing that comes up. Um, and, uh, of course, making sure that we have the planning in our healthcare system and um, all of the different pieces. So there is an awful lot of pieces in the air. And I have to say, you know, I'm the voice and, and the, the face of a, a, a very strong team of public health leaders, of hospital leaders. And Dr. Stephen Brown is the Deputy Minister of Health. Um, you know, he's my, my partner in crime on this and uh, he, he's just a brilliant mind. So we meet, of course, we talk all the time. <laughs> and there's lots of people that are on my little text group. <laughs> You've, you've been very clear about the independence of your office, and, and so that's important. So is the, is the direction then into the deputy uh, more than, say, the minister around health issues? Well, uh, the deputy leads the operations side, and, and we um, have a joint relationship sort of leading the response team in the, in the province, but it is very closely connected to the minister, Minister Dix, and uh, the premier's office. So Absolutely, we have ongoing, um, we talk daily, um, I provide advice, uh, we have a lot of discussions about what are the best things to do. I ask for advice uh, routinely from different ministries, not just uh, the Ministry of Health and the Minister of Health, but it's a very important relationship. This is, while some parts of this are, are certainly independent, we recognize that all of government has a very important role in getting us through this and uh, we, there's very much that's interconnected. Yeah, we have a few questions left. Uh, we're cognizant of your time, Haley. Knowing what you know now, is there anything you would have done differently? Oh, you know, it's so hard to know. Um, it, it, I think I, I mean, I expected we'd have a second wave. I was hopeful that we would be able to to keep that balance of, of most things being open, but it became very clear in sort of middle of October that this virus was spreading uh, a lot more easily in the, in the fall. There's a seasonality to it, which is not unexpected, but, you know, I probably could have messaged that a little better because I think it took others by surprise when we started to say, no, you can't do this anymore um, and change and nuance or something that causes anxiety in people. You know, globally, if I look back, I really um, think we missed an opportunity to support China in controlling this at the source. And we probably didn't pay enough attention to how rapidly it could spread uh, you know, it, I'm really distressed by some of the nationalism that this uh, pandemic has, has exposed, particularly if I look to our neighbours to the south. Um, and it, it, the big regret that we couldn't have been more coordinated as a local community to protect people. Yeah. As you see it today, Dr. Henry, what do you think are the stages ahead now in the next, say, 12 months, as, as best as you or anyone can predict? Well, I, I do really believe that um, vaccines will change things for us. And, you know, I used an analogy not that long ago that we were in a, a triathlon or an Ironman. And I think we're, we're finishing the bike and, and vaccine means we're starting to, to get into the run, the marathon part of it. But we don't yet know if it's a 42.2 or an ultra. So there's a lot of pacing that we need to do. And we need to keep up the support that we have for each other. 
but but there is a light and it's getting brighter and vaccines will make a difference for that. It's going to be stretched out over the next few months. So we don't want to, uh, you know, we talk about getting tired in the last couple of kilometers and that's when we get injured. Now we need to pay attention to all of those things that have been keeping us safe, stopping transmission, keeping our, our, you know, keeping close to our family only, especially through this holiday period. It's going to be really important that we keep our transmission down. We don't want to lose people now when we're so close to having vaccine to protect our elders, um, to having vaccine that then will interrupt transmission um, between all of us in the community. So I see the next three months as focusing on protecting those most at risk um, and our healthcare system, and then more broadly having vaccine that's going to stop this pandemic. And I'm optimistic, hopeful by the summer, but certainly by next fall, that we will be in that place when we can hug each other again and have parties, And uh, but we'll still have to wash our hands. <laughs> Tyler? Yeah, well, maybe jumping off of that point, let's say vaccine is available to everyone who wants it in 12 months time. How do you envision life being different for British Columbians compared with where we are right now? Yeah, you know, I think vaccine uh, that we have, if we have it in enough numbers, once we get to what we call herd immunity, or I prefer to call it community immunity, enough people immunized that we, we will stop this virus. My experience with um, pandemics in the past is once you get to that critical level, the, the virus can't find new people to infect. So we protect those who are most at risk. We know the, that um, older people, age is the single most important risk factor for having severe illness or dying from this virus. So starting with those people, um, you know, I think we will get back to our usual connections. We'll, we'll remember how to hug. We'll remember how to, you know, shake hands or have meetings together. Um, coming together again, it's going to be strange at first. I don't know if you know, but uh, if you watch movies and you think, oh, my God, they're touching each other. <laughs> That's maybe just me. But, uh, you know, we won't need to wear masks when we're out in public. But we will still need to be careful because this has exposed to us a number of things that uh, we, we don't take enough precautions around spreading our germs in different places. And we, we know that these things help. We haven't seen influenza this year at all because people are taking protective measures. But we've also seen that this virus has, has exposed inequities in our society and our community. And that's what we need to start focusing on. It is differentially affecting racialized communities. Women, women who are in, in business, who are now um, at home, um, not able to get back into the workforce. So we need to address that. And, uh, and we absolutely need to address young people. Um, the, this has been so hard on... Um, young people, I'm thinking about young people in my life who graduated from high school, didn't have graduation ceremonies, first year university is remote. Um, this is a time when young people are making those connections, finding life partners, finding networks. Um, so we have to pay attention, I believe, next summer when we get to that point on, on providing those opportunities that young people have missed, because that is going to be so important for our economy, for our society, for, for generations. I could uh, finish by asking you a question on how you managed to control um, some of the fury that must be there when people are, uh, are, are violating a lot of the things. And as a recreational hockey player, I can tell you, I apologize Sorry. on behalf of all teams. Um, but um, the one thing I, I do want to ask as we close is uh, um, 
Are we ready for the next time? Yeah, you, you know, one of the things that I've learned in, in my experience with crises, whether it's a pandemic or a natural disaster, you know, forest fires we've had, is that there's always that period of chaos when something new happens. Um, we've learned a lot through this. We've learned a lot about how dependent or interdependent we are on international supply chains, uh, all of these things. I think we will learn from this in ways that, uh, you know, we learned in 2003, but some of those things we seem to lose over time. We developed a sense of complacency around, around infectious diseases. So I hope it will last. I hope um, that it will last uh, enough um, that things will take root and that we can uh, establish those protective measures uh, in our communities that will become routine, will become part of how we care for each other in the future. Well, Dr. Henry, we'll let you go for a, a short run and then a meditation after that. Um, but we thank you so much for your time today and congratulations again to be our newsmaker of the year for 2020. Well, thank you very much. And uh, I'll just to sign off with my usual, you know, it is it's so, so important now more than ever to continue to be kind to each other and to stay calm through this last phase of our storm, hopefully, and uh, we'll all be safe. So thank you. Thank you. I'm Kirk LaPointe, publisher and editor-in-chief of Business in Vancouver. Thanks so much for joining us today.